This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora, and assalamu alaikum. The Fireside Story Series has kicked off at Andua Mosque, and you are invited to be a part of it. Come and listen to members of Christchurch's Muslim community talking about their lives. On the first Sunday of every month until December 2021, three speakers will take the mic for 20 minutes at a time. They will speak for 10 minutes and answer questions for the other 10 minutes. The content will vary. The age of the speakers, the gender and the country of origin will all vary, but they will all be Muslims and their stories will be real and straight from the heart. So come along and hear our stories so you can better connect with us and we can better connect with you. If you would like to book a seat, please go to Eventbrite and search for Fireside Story Series and hurry, space is limited. And if you're a Muslim from Christchurch and would like to tell your story, please contact Brother Kai on 0279 408 320. So Christchurch, let's stay connected and keep the fire burning. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Hi. Oh, a lot of new faces tonight. <laughs> Good to see that. Welcome for the new ones and the, the ones we have seen last month. It's good, it's good to see you again on this new series, in this new session, gathering of the fireside stories where we share amazing paths and stories with you, a bit, you know, a piece of us. You know, we are all drops of water, drops of the same ocean of life. Despite our differences, our shapes, our, you know, the packages we come in, but the essence is the same. And it's good to come all here tonight to uncover and see what's uniting us. Uh, yeah, we have three amazing speakers tonight that have, like, accepted willingly to share their stories and journeys with us so we can learn from, we can get inspired, and we can get some lessons because you know that stories, as we said, they are not just for entertainment. And please don't just get entertained tonight. Every story has got a lesson, a shortcut, has got something for us to take home. So listen attentively. Try to get the clues. Try to get the messages. Because every and each journey is a shortcut for, uh, for us to learn from. Our first speaker tonight is our brother Nordin from Morocco and I'm excited and humbled actually to learn from him today. Assalamu alaikum. Hi everybody. Today I would like to take you far away to Morocco. All you need to do, fasten your belts, and let's go. Not really. Uh, the time, as we all know, 10 minutes is not going to be enough to cover the whole thing. But today, I will try and cover just a small portion. And I would like to cover when I was young. The reason I, I would like to cover that uh, when I was young, it's uh, 
because I want to acknowledge one of my, uh, uh, I'm going to say, is uh, leadership, like one of my, who shaped me, who uh, make me who I am now. When I was young, I lived, I lived in, in a village and we didn't have much as we have today. Kids, kids today, lots of toys and, and gadgets and phones and we all, what we have is just like, we make our own, own toys and we listen to stories from our parents, even though that time my daddy was away. So I lived within a family, big family, uh, my mom and my uncle and my cousins, we live all together and they're like brothers to me. My dad, he was in France, he was working in France that time. We get to see him like two months a year. He comes and we know that we have a dad and he comes and that's all he was. But what's, what's really uh, what really happened and shaped me is when my mom decided to, to be independent. She wants, you know, everyone, they have, they see their goals, but she wasn't like seeing that she's going to achieve her goal and our goal as well, because she, she wants to see us where we are now. So then she decided to, 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 you know, to separate from my uncle and because we have a big house and so then we separated. But the, what's happened is I was the, the only one who can do things because where I come from, women, they just like in the village, not in town, it's different in town and in the village. So the women, they just take care about their children. That's all they do all day. They make sure they get feed good. They clothe, clean clothes and uh, doing their homework and so on. I was young that time. I was nine years old. So I'm going to do it. So that, that's the, there is instructions. She can't come with me. Like just an example, if I just want to do groceries, what am I going to do? But lucky, used to, I used to have like my ankles from my mom's side. So what I do is just, she gives me the money. Nine years old, having money, but I have to follow my uncle. So it's not like we said, if you want to teach someone, don't give like fish things, don't give him a fish. Instead of giving him a fish a day, show him to fish. So that's what I did. So I just follow him wherever he goes. You know, not like here you buy these prices now. You have to bargain for your, what you're going to buy. So I just follow whatever he buys, I will go and buy as well the same thing. And that's how, that's just really good, good, good learning curve. So as, it was a difficult time, yes it was, but as I grow up, I start to learn, to learn new skills, just slowly, 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 so I learned a little bit, and then I, I start to do big things. So I was nine, but I asked like, 15. So I'm ahead of my age, and that makes it good. It's, it, good in a way, good in, 
and that's good in other way. Because like you need to play like children, you need to do things, but you have a responsibility. But the good thing I have from this is, is the whole thing is like when they they trust you, when they give you a responsibility, and you know that you're the only one. There, there is nobody else to do it. So then you can you can do it. You have to do it. It's just like obligation, and it was good for me. Uh, the other thing is when we grow up, and we grow up, is you have to do tasks as well, not just like with groceries. And you have like we have farm, we have you know cows, we have chicken, we have this a lot of things, and we have even we like farm to to grow like crops and sorts of things. So you're responsible to, for all of, of that as well. So this is all with my mom's instructions. And that's I acknowledge like women is not just like they just feed in and they're real mother as well. They always give you hands, they they direct you in a good way and and, and this is works for me good. Uh, my dad, I, I get to know him like as I grow up a little bit, he comes. But the good thing is when he has 55 years, he comes back differently. He lives with us differently. So when he comes back, instead of seeing like a young, young child, like he, he starts to see that I'm, I'm already like adults, even though I'm still teenager, I'm adults. Then he was like surprised. And he starts to, to share things with me as well, and I'm happy to do that. I even, uh, you know, when, when someone does, you know, does things right, you trust them, then you give them more responsibility. And then he gives me more responsibilities, like um, even I could, I could do things instead of him, like uh, power of attorney, attorney as well. So then I start to like doing big things. It's not just the small projects, it's giving me big projects. It's not just small ones, like if I want to uh, buy something, like if a piece of land or something like this is going to, okay, go and have a look at it. And, and, and that is a really good. And this is really, mom, she played a role. And then dad, when he comes back, he adds to that value to that. To, to who I am. And since then, or even though when I was studying, and I was working as well, studying and working things, and then learning things as well. So through all my studies, I, I worked different in different life. I was like, doing well, hairdressing, I've done, I've done a lot of things, like uh, uh, electrical, electrical as, as well, technician in electrical. Then, uh, other diplomats, diplomats as well. So then, uh, after that, I, I had my own business. 2000, 2000, I opened my own business. So I'm doing like electric, electric uh, equipment, selling business. Then I'm fitting as well, as a fitter as well. So then I, uh, after that, so then when I came here to New Zealand in a work visa. So all these skills, when I came here, now, when you come from overseas, you're not just our, all our certificates, they're not valid here in New Zealand, I don't know why. 
but that's what happened. So I have to do them again from from stretch from start. If I was working two jobs here and then doing studies as well at night. So that, this is the, the the hard part when I came here. But after that, it was everything is, it was good. I I start from scratch, but Alhamdulillah, uh, I'm happy where I am now. Uh, and this is just because of my mom's teaching when I was young, and, and as well my dad, that trust they give me, and I would never like, I would like to, to transfer this trust to my children as well, so I wouldn't, yes, I will give them responsibility by monitoring them, but not forcing anything to let them be. Just leave them be, and they're going to find their way. This is one thing I, I would like to share from my experience. And you're not going to tell people, like your children, you're not going to tell your children your dream. You might be, you want it to be some, somebody. You can't just tell them to be that, that somebody. So you need to let them, let them be and encourage them wherever they want to follow, just give them, trust them, and take that's the, my advice. Amazing story, isn't it? <laughs> the key nugget of wisdom I got from Brother Nordin is when we get, you know, powerful key source energies who are our parents, they make or break us because they are, they are our first and main source energies. And they give us a head start in life because they build us mentally, physically, spiritually, and mentally. We, they give us any, everything. And we can see, mashallah, brother Nordin got a head start in life because he got good parents. And actually, the challenge for us tonight, are we to question, are we good parents? Are we giving head starts for our kids or are we delaying them with you know, trauma and unnecessary worry and fear and all of that. So that's the question for me, at least, from brother's story. And it, you're welcome to share questions and ask questions and share your nuggets of what your takeaway from brothers, from Brother Nordin's story tonight. When did you actually come to New Zealand and what was your main, was it for the children or what? I came in 2004. The beginning of 2004, I came uh, work visa. Work visa. Uh, but when I came here, even though they give me like, I have my diploma in techni technician, electrical technician. But when I came here, uh, I'm not allowed to work in electrical. I have to, I don't know, because they, they said Moroccan uh, diploma is not valid in New Zealand. So then I have to work in a job. So I can't choose jobs, so I worked in a chicken factory. So once they, they get to know me, then I've been promoted. So just from there gets promoted, promoted, and I was studying as well. So I was like taking two, two uh, paths at the same time. I wasn't going to wait for my, to do my studies, because I need to work. And I'm working, 
and I'm doing my studies as well, so both. Alhamdulillah, uh, now when I, so I went far in my, my, my work, so to IC, then I became like a managing, managing one of the departments. So from there, I, uh, they, I transferred to health and safety, then, then uh, compliance, then I went to quality technical. So it's just like different, different uh, departments through. The good thing in New Zealand, when they, they get to know you, they get to know your values, then yes, they're going to invest in you. And they're going to give you, yeah, they, that's, that's what I like in New Zealand. So I didn't, for me, was lucky, I didn't uh, experience any, uh, any like, why is more anything? In my, my work, it was really good. I was like, yeah, good. Uh, my studies was good as well. It went good. I had my, I finished and I passed my exams, but it's too late to go to electrical because I already uh, achieved something like, which is better than electrical. The reason I said that, electrical, you have to, uh, to, to go from one area to an, another area. But the, where I am now, it's fixed. I start 6.30, I finish by 3, finished. And then I have you know, like life balance. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Brother Muhammad from Saudi Arabia. I'm eager to learn more. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. Hi, everyone. I hope you are having a wonderful day so far. Well, you might wonder why I took off my glasses. Well, I'm blind as a bat, so that makes me less nervous. <laughs> However, so I'm Muhammad Al-Fakihi. I'm from Saudi Arabia. I've been on this earth for 29 years old and counting. Uh, I'm, I'm a journeyman. I've been to different places. I've spent around five years in America and back to Saudi Arabia. Coincidentally, I found myself in New Zealand, precisely Christchurch, more precisely at the mosque when the attack took place. Hence why I'm still here. <laughs> I didn't die. Uh, so, you know, instead of, of, of boring you with unrelatable information about, let's say, my life, I'd like to share with you an internal monologue that I've always had throughout my life. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, everybody, you know, you know can relate to this. The spark of, of, of that monologue is a question that goes like, why am I, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Question that everybody everybody has asked at some point of their lives. Uh, initially, you would think that to survive, right? That's what I had instinctively. However, when I dug deeper, I had another question: Who am I? To that, my answer was: I need to observe my you know existence. What is out there? in order for me to realize who I am, who am I. So I noticed this pattern in, 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 in nature, which is the, the it's, it's, it's a law that is unnoticeable, which is the law of duality. You have sun and moon, night and day, uh, land and sea, right? Males and females. 
And in my case, I found that I'm the tangible side, right? I'm also the spiritual side, something that it is intangible. I, can, I, I, cannot, I cannot touch, however I can feel, and it dictates my life. So the tangible side, it's irrelevant to think about it since it takes care of itself. You just feed yourself and it goes, it goes along by itself automatically. It was programmed to survive. So my goal isn't to survive, nor to thrive, because at some point you are very limited, you know. You are within a certain, a certain environment and certain rules that you only have so much room to wiggle. So that led me to think that maybe the very first thing that my body is trying to stay away from, which is death, is the, the, the very thing that my soul is, 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 you know, chasing. This might sound dark, but think about it. In every religion out there, you always think about death as, as the door for, for internal, eternal peace, right? So, how could, I, how could I balance those two sides? Well, you know, I, could, I couldn't without having a belief, especially after the mosque attack. So, I thought that I should focus on things that make me feel better. Not physically, which is, which is mandatory at this point. However, spiritually, you know, feeling good, feeling good about what I do. So, eventually, I feel good, you know, where I resign. And, and pretty much that's, that's the whole essence of, of, of my speech. Very short, very concise, but very to the point, very philosophical, but very deep at the same time. Thank you so much. For me, my takeaway from Brother Muhammad's speech is that we are here not to survive, not to thrive, but to be dead. <laughs> to just, you know, to reach, yeah, to reach the ego, to the death of the ego, so we can become clean, cleansed channels for divinity. And it's not about us, it's about how we reach our fullest expression and be of service to others and to humanity. Yes, sister. Absolutely, that's the balance we are seeking. You know, the confusion you are getting, sister, from my point of view, is that we are so much on the other extreme, on living as if we're gonna live forever. That's why we are balancing it with the death of the ego, so we think about, yeah, what's happening later. Hi again. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, when I said your body is programmed to survive, of course, you, you are not running every single cell in your body. You're not controlling your nervous system. You decide. You feel. And that fuels, uh, that, that fuels your, 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 your system, right? When I say leave your body alone and, and don't focus on it, that doesn't mean you, take, you don't take showers. I don't, you don't eat. Of course you do. You have to, right? You have to enjoy life. This, this is a part of what you could value. You know, it, it's like the cherry on top. It's not the whole cake. So, so the main idea is that you take care of yourself, 
within within certain limits, right? And then you focus on things that actually matter to you. As as you said, the Prophet has a saying that goes like, uh, you know, live as if you are living forever, and and think of death death as if you are dying tomorrow. So that doesn't that doesn't you know counter what I've, I've said. In fact, actually, it emphasizes the fact that you know what I said or what I believe that it is on the right track. I'm I'm not I'm nowhere close to where I feel like I have a conclusion. I have you know the, the same question that I've, I've initially started with is reoccurring with high frequency of reoccurrence. It always comes up, especially as I'm growing up now. I'm almost 30, even though I don't look like it. Thanks, thanks, Dad. <laughs> he has good genes. So, 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 yeah. Ultimately, you know, we we need to take care of our bodies. That's a given. However, we need to focus more on things that are beyond that. Thank you. Thank you, Muhammad. Thank you so much. Amazing discussions. <laughs> our last speaker, last but not least, is Brother Kai. Just to mention, then, when I heard your story, brother, I had tears rolling <laughs> all over my face. And what beautiful self-realization you have accomplished. Uh, I would like to actually join the audience and learn more about it tonight. Thanks, Suhaila. Um, yes, I'll just um, pick up on um, what Mohammed said about chasing expectations. Um, yeah, because that's what what uh, I've been as a, as a youth I, that's what I was doing chasing expectations but what I've realized is um, I'm just like a leaf in the wind you know what I mean so we also have a saying in Islam you know, we plan but God is the, the best of planners so that's how it is um, but yes um, so my name is Kai and um, I was born in uh, 1972 in Auckland, and yeah, so my mother's Australian, and uh, she was over here in in, Auckland, uh, in Christchurch actually. Uh, she was working, and she had a brief um, she had a brief relationship with an African man, a Kenyan, and that relationship didn't last. So my mother found herself pregnant, and uh, single mother living in New Zealand, um, away from home, and the father wasn't, they weren't in a relationship, so he went back to Kenya, and she, she said, decided to put me up for adoption. So she went to Auckland and stayed at a, mother, um, a house for, for single mothers, and she had, had me. And as it uh, would have it, um, there was another beautiful couple from Australia who were out here, and that's my adoptive parents, and uh, uh, Diana and Peter are their names. So they came and they were introduced to me in this, uh, this orphanage, and they, they chose me, and I grew up with, um, with Peter and Diana. Uh, so my birth mum, that's Helen, uh, she went back to Tamworth, which is in, is in New South Wales, in Australia, and um, she didn't tell her mother she had this child, and uh, so she went on with her life, 
and kept it a secret. Um, and uh, her mother has just passed away. Her, mother's, uh, her mother, my grandmother, has just passed away at age 94. Uh, just to sort of digress a little few times, I, did, I have um, made contact with um, my birth mum and I'd ring her um, periodically and she was caring for her mother and I'd ring up, ring up um, my, my mother, my birth mother, and the grandmother would answer the phone and she didn't know who I was. So that was, but we had to keep this secret. Um, my, my birth mother sort of trusted me um, to keep this between the two of us and that's the way it had to be. Um, so anyway, um, Peter and Diana, my adoptive parents, took me uh, back, to, back to Australia. Turned out they only lived about 100 kilometres away from Tamworth. Um, of course, I didn't know my birth mother was quite, quite close to where I grew up. So I grew up in a town called Newcastle. And um, about five years old, Peter and Diana uh, got divorced. So it's quite tumultuous, but I was only young, so I didn't really didn't know all these um, these issues. And then I grew up with um, my adoptive mum, Diana. So I had a very stable relationship um, life and relationship with Bibi Diana. We call her Bibi Diana. From five until seventeen, very um, stable life. She was a good role model. She was a hairdresser. She used to. She was a very social person. She used to like acting and um, encouraging me with things like sports. I was a surfer. Um, I was the only black surfer um, in my town and the only uh, sort of coloured person at my school. But it didn't really occur to me that I was African until later in, in life, when I, particularly when I went to university. Um, so I'd go to university and the you know, of course, Africans would identify, hey, brother, where are you from? At this time, I didn't even know what African country I was from. And that really, that really um, was the issue. So when you get to that teenage years, and identity sort of kicks in, it's like, whoa, I don't even know, uh, you know. I don't even know where I'm from. So that was quite, um, that was quite a, a, a tough time. My adoptive mother didn't have any answers. She was very yeah, supportive, but she didn't have any of the answers. My birth mama, my mother, I hadn't met my birth mother at that stage, so she couldn't help me out. So I had to just sort of struggle on through. Um, you know, if I'd see an African, I'd sort of like, Root, sort of a bit of a deviation there because I knew I'd get the questions, hey, where are you from? You know, um, and it's quite challenging for someone. Um, however, at twen age 21, I went to birth deaths and marriages and got my original birth certificate. Got my original birth certificate and there was my birth mo mother's name on there. Father's name was blank. Okay, then I kicked in and did my research. So I was doing a bit of, at 21 years old, it's quite quite determined to find her, you know, to get some answers, get some biological sort of feedback going on. Um, so I, I tracked her down and with the help of um, 
a, a society, a sort of middle agency, and they said, look, this lady's your birth mother. Please don't make direct contact with her because we've had it, um, similar you know, cases. You know, sometimes you go in there and it's, you know, can all go to custody sometimes. So the lady went on my behalf and said, look, we've got this, got this young man. He, um, it looks really positive that he's your, your son. So they organised a meeting, meeting between um, my birth mother and I. And I still remember that day. I was in Hyde Park in Sydney and we had, the fountain was going there and, uh, and we, I walked up and she was facing away from me and I saw the shoulder blades, her shoulder blades. And there was a lot of people around. It could have been any of the females around and I was just like, that's her right there. You know, it's sort of like looking at um, the back of yourself. And when she turned around, I saw the first person, a biological person I've ever met in my life. And it was um, quite a weird thing. It's, you know, there's the stages of, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's, it's like an erotic stage where you see someone and it's like, wow, you're beautiful. And it was... And it was sort of like a beauty, um, probably because you, you do love yourself. When you see, when you look in the mirror, you go, yeah, you're, you're nice. Because you become familiar with yourself and you sort of live with yourself. And I saw my mother, I was like, wow, you're beautiful. Not in a sexual way, but just, you're beautiful. And we kissed and hugged. And, and so we've kept, kept in contact through, through times up until just, just the other day when she, she rang me and told me... Um, um, my birth grandmother had passed away. So, um, how did I um, end up sort of here in in Christchurch? Um, so, it just so happened, I after I, I met Helen, her, is her name, a lot of the answers were were solved for me, and I settled down, and and I did go and. Did go to Africa and, and tracked down uh, my father. I don't have enough time to tell you that story. <laughs> Maybe in a future time, that's a really interesting story. But um, I did settle down, and I, I sort of got on track with with careers and, and stuff like that. I ended up becoming a teacher, and I um, I went to Japan and taught English, and I went to um, Tanzania. From there, I met my wife, and we got married, and and yeah, I've I've converted to Islam. I'm, I I I I think you guessed that. I I wasn't a Muslim by birth. <laughs> I converted to Islam uh, in at about year two thousand. Um, so I've been a Muslim since that time, um, practicing Muslim, and I've I've been happy. Um, to the max, you know, ever since I've converted to Islam. Uh, a lot of, you know, in Islam, um, adoption was a sort of dirty word in when I was growing up. In Australia, it was just like nobody talked about adoption. And it's like, but what I found in, in Islam, it's not, a, it's not encouraged, adoption. You know, we really encourage people, families to stay together biologically. Um, but it's an accepted thing. 
It's an accepted thing when it happens. You know, a lot of our prophets found themselves adopted or uh, without parents. So, you know, it's it's in Islam. I feel comfortable to be adopted because, uh, you know, all these, like you say, Muhammad, about all the exterior things. Sometimes it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just we're here and and we die. You know, and it's just a, it's a journey. So, yeah. So I've 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 been to Saudi Arabia and I've worked there, and now I'm back here, and I'm actually currently doing some reintegration. So I help um, um, mainly mainly young men who have uh, been in jail, and now they want to reintegrate back into society, and all these things that have happened to me throughout my life, I feel as though my life experience really helps me to deal with people um, who don't have identity crises, whether cultural, sexual, uh, you know, religious, um, you know, all those sort of things. So when I meet them, I really empathise with them and say, yeah, you can do it, you know. Um, so yeah, I'll just wrap it up there and um, if you have any questions uh, please feel free what beautiful example of you know recreating your identity so we are given our identities but we can recreate and reinvent them at any point in time and you have done that brilliantly what were the factors that helped you actually forge this new identity you know, not the parents, not the... What was the main actor, actually? Uh, the identity as, as a Muslim or as a... Um, well, as a... So the African identity... Um, the African identity, I think... I'm quite determined. I'm quite determined to, to learn. Uh, when... So I... I found that I was my mind was like on first gear as a youth because when I was going through that um, rough time to find that work identity I got sort of into music and and there was there was alcohol and and drugs around so and I got sort of tried to become an African through the music and through that sort of subculture music subculture um, but after a while, when I did meet Helen and get some few answers, I'm operating on first gear here, and I'm I'm much more capable. So, as far as Africans go, being learning about Africa, I said, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Africa and and learn the language. So I was just probably my inner inner character of just learning, being determined to learn, even Quran and and uh, you know learning. The religion was the same thing. You know, I can do it. I can do it if I just apply myself. So I have that determination to do it. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of probably just my character. Is just I can do it. I don't really regard myself as very smart, but I've just got that determination. And that's the that's the. Is in Africa, there's a lot of probably negative things I could focus on, but. One thing I try to keep my mind focused
focused on with, with being African is that hardworking spirit, you know. So that's what I take away from, and I just say I'm yeah, I'm African and I'm I'm a survivor, and I'm and I can work hard with it. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, the the call to prayer might might kick in any minute now, but um, if Suhaila um, forgets, um, if we if we um, go to pray, please don't run away, okay? Because we have Swahili tea, okay, and biscuits and tea and all that there. So if we do go and pray, just still hang around because we'd love to, to chat with you some more. Thank you, brother. So this I can do it attitude, I think that's my takeaway personally. But please, I invite you to stay all together, you know, so we can share some tea and you can share with us your takeaways, you know, what you, you, the lessons and the nuggets you are taking home tonight. Thank you so much for attending and please do come for the next sessions and bring friends. We will enjoy having you here and sharing our stories with you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.